0: Hi, welcome to Things of Interest. I'm Serena Chen. And I'm Sophia Friends. This episode, we're talking about our feelings. Feelings. Everyone has them. And like almost everything else in this world, they're gendered. Whether you're looking at leaders, celebrities, or even your own social dynamics, we see women characterised as shrill or hysterical, as bossy or catty, when maybe we're just normal human beings that have normal human feelings. So for this episode, how do we navigate having feelings with the incredible sexism that casts all of our emotions as unnecessary and ridiculous?
1: And more than that, really, Serena, it's how we navigate it in a world that almost exclusively relegates feelings to being the domain of women, Mm -hmm. like something... I thought when I put this episode forward as like something we could talk about was that it's sort of the classic women's chat is like we go and we have a talk about our feelings (laughs) we just really bond over it like have a heart to heart and like just the fact that having emotions is seen as like being necessarily feminine is really bad but then when you say women have emotions that so emotional but then why do women have all these emotions when we've told them they have them constantly and always when every chick flick that exists and i don't necessarily agree with the term chick flick but you know it's something that's used here when every chick flick that exists shows women like just getting together and talking about their feelings like what are we meant to do
0: yeah you don't uh you don't want to be like socialized by society to be one way and then feel broken for not doing that I mean, I, I know I definitely growing up, I, I never liked chick flicks and for a long time I felt like I wasn't doing it right. Like being a girl, right? <laughs> like I, I am still, and I think this is like talking about your feelings is something that everyone can, I think it's healthy for everyone. And this is something that I still need to work on. It's how to talk about my feelings without being uh, unnecessarily awkward. Uh, But at the same time, for the girls out there who are really awkward about their feelings, maybe shouldn't feel so uh, broken as a girl. Like, we're all humans and we all experience these things and sometimes we're awkward and some people are are blessed with the ability to, to talk about them more openly.
1: I mean, I wouldn't say anyone's like innately blessed with the ability to talk about emotions no, very perhaps openly. They, yeah,
0: <laughs> perhaps they, they got more practice as a child. It, it's definitely it's definitely the the kind of community and the kind of people that you grow up around is what you you learn from.
1: Yeah, but it means that even as an adult you can learn to talk about your feelings and learn to sort of accept them and work with them Mm. I think something that a lot of very ambitious young women can tend to do and like even older women as well is because feelings are seen as being something so like unprofessional unnecessary they will often just try and ignore them and try Mm. and really move past those feelings and that's really dangerous like for your, for your feels, for your mental health, like that can be a really, really bad thing. And I think one of the most difficult things to do is if you're like that, if you're one of those um, young people, male or female or other, like who has constantly had to push feelings down because they don't feel like it's like professional or not something that someone like them does, like it's really, really difficult to then be like, okay, I accept that I have feelings and I can work with them, but it's so important.
0: Mm, definitely. And something that um, really I feel like we're both quite concerned about is the fact that young boys are socialized to not display their feelings, to just mask them away. And the only kind of emotion that they're allowed to display by society is a very angry, hyper-masculine kind of violent anger, whereas anything else is kind of looked down upon as too feminine and that And that is a really dangerous thing as well, because then they get they pent up all of their emotions um and it's not healthy
1: and it's where you see things like the incredibly high mental illness and suicide rates in young men both yeah. in New Zealand, actually like most of the Western world, I believe, but I know certainly in New Zealand and Australia mm. and like that's that's definitely part of feminism as well, and I think that's often forgotten yeah. we talking about like feminism and women's rights is like we would really like fewer people everywhere to kill themselves like that's yep. we don't like suicide as feminists and
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's um oh it's from that beyonce song with that wonderful feminist who's in it feminism is a social political and economic equality of the sexes and like part of that social equality is allowing people who are raised as boys to have those emotions and lean into those emotions and just like display them in a healthy way.
0: Uh, I, oh, what's her name? I want to say Chima Manda. Ch- Hang on, let me let me look this up. <laughs> she Things of interest where we Google Live for you.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so um, she has. I think the quote is from one of her TED Talks. She's got a few really great TED Talks, and she's got a few really great books out as well, just about the, the whole subject of um, both gender and race in society. In the quote, she defines feminism. This is about equality, and this is about equality socially. It's about equality economically. It's, it's across all of those, those dimensions.
1: No, I've been um, reading Roxane Gay's uh, book of essays recently, Bad Feminist, which has been really interesting and good because she also talks about intersection a bit. And not everything she says I agree with. I think particularly her essay on trigger warnings is wrong and incorrect in every possible way. Um, but it is a really, really good book. Mm. I've been enjoying making my feminism more intersectional lately. Mm. Um, but yeah, so... I want to be able to express my feelings without having what I say be undermined by that. Like, mm. and I'm certainly in the position where I cry like a lot. Like I am very ready to just like, my eyes will start watering. Like, <laughs> and often it won't mean like I'm incredibly upset. It'll just be like, oh yes, now my eyes are watering. Welcome mm. to the cry zone population Sophia. Um, <laughs> but I would also really like it if my brother could do that as well. Yeah. Because I know that he's like, he will lash out when he is upset and I would just like straight up cry and be like, <laughs> and I think that difference is so potentially harmful. Yeah, And like we often see that harm get actualized, like that harm occurs in the real world where when women are upset, it's kind of like, ugh. All right, you're having feelings, whatever. We'll get another woman to handle this. So it's not only that men don't know how to deal with their own emotions, they often really don't know how to deal with other people's emotions.
0: Yeah, actually this reminds me of a of an interesting um article that I saw in the New York Times months ago, but it was about how how women's health concerns are often not taken as seriously as men's when when they're at um an emergency room i've read that article and it's so good really (laughs) oh yeah oh my god so so we know what we're
1: talking about um i can probably talk about it a little bit it's essentially the idea that like women's pain isn't taken seriously when a woman is like crying and curled up in pain the doctor's response to that is often to look at it and assume it's due to a psychosomatic issue or Or equally also, like, that the pain isn't that bad. It's the assumption that, like, everything... It's, like, this idea that everything bad that happens to women is, like, partly our own fault.
0: Oh, okay. My bad. Not the New York Times. It's by the Atlantic. Okay.
1: Um, yeah. And it's, like, it's absolutely ridiculous. And mm -hmm. I've... I don't know if you've had this experience at the doctors, but I've often had to be, like, no, no, really. So I've had, um very bad cramps for like my entire life suspected endometriosis. Mm. And we'll often have like conversations with the doctor where I have to be like, no, seriously, I can't walk for four days a month. This is not, not productive. Can we stop this please?
0: Mm. Something that I have noticed at the doctors is that I kind of do the opposite thing because I, I am aware that people expect me as a woman to be, to not downplay what my symptoms are. Usually at the doc- – like, I'll, I'll be in terrible shape at home. I'll go to the doctor's. And while I'm at the doctor's consultation, I'll downplay all my symptoms because I don't want to seem like I'm overreacting. <laughs> Which is ridiculous because that's like going to a restaurant and the waiter coming up to
1: you and you'll be like, no, I'm actually not that hungry. <laughs> Like I realize that you're employed to provide a service to me, but just no, yeah. it's fine. Like please don't serve. I'll leave. I'm
0: good. I'll like go. It's like if someone's about to clean your hotel room and you you clean up just a little bit, just so you don't appear to. It's it's really ridiculous, and I I know that it's ridiculous, and I know I should just like say what is happening with me, but every single time I see a doctor, I I downplay everything because I'm I'm just so, I just don't want to seem like I'm overreacting and that's such a such a gendered thing that even now like even if I'm aware of it I'm still struggling with, with it.
1: Oh yeah. Oh definitely. Um I was at a conference fairly recently and I don't even I mean like I think about the implications of what I do and say fairly often clearly but I don't think about how mm. they're gendered very often. And I was talking to some men at this conference and a woman came over and she's like, oh, when you're done here, I'd really like to talk to you. I'm like, nah, this conversation's not interesting. I can go. And she was like, no, no, I really I really don't want to interrupt. Like, I'd hate to interrupt. I'm like, look, a man like in your position wouldn't even question interrupting. He'd just be like, hey, I need you. And so just take this. We'll go and have a conversation. It'll be great. And like, it was a really, really productive chat. Um, but like the fact that it took so long for me to convince her that it was actually okay for me to leave a conversation that I didn't care that much about. Just like, it really struck me as like something that you'd never see a man be that worried about interrupting and like apologize so much about you doing Mm. something you want to do
0: anyway. I think it is definitely a symptom of how women in general are are socialized to like carry all of the emotional weight and to carry all of the to do all of the empathizing to say oh I better I have to think about how not only how this makes me feel but how what's going to happen is going to make you know Alice feel and Bob feel and Charlie feel and we are socialized to to worry about all these things and so therefore when we enter a conversation like that we have to be like oh I don't want to like come off the wrong way or like I don't want to interrupt, whereas men are not so much socialised to think about those things. In fact, they're socialised to not think about those things in many ways. (laughs) And I mean, we also
1: often will be more negatively affected by those kind of things than a man would be. Because if a man's, like, a bit rude, you might call him a bit rude. You might be like, oh, yeah, he's brash. But often he's, you know, determined. He knows what he wants. Whereas if a woman's a bit rude, it's like, oh.
0: Can't work with her. She
1: could be perfect. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. That actually sort of um, reminded me of another thing, really, is that, like, women are often expected to do, like, a large amount of emotional labor compared to everyone else in a workplace or in a family or anything to, like that. Like that's a discussion we're having increasingly um, within STEM, within academia particularly, um, because you work so hard for postdocs, you eventually maybe become a professor, you're often heavily in the minority of the professorships within your institute, and then you still need to publish. And you still need to have like this incredible academic output. But often many of your hours are being taken up through emotional labour and that might be things like mentoring and supporting students and it's just like, well, you know, how do you say no to students when they really, really need you? Um, but it could be other forms of emotional labour within your workplace and whether women, like whether that should be recognised or ways should be set out for women to avoid doing that, like essentially extra unpaid labour
0: on top of their normal jobs is quite an interesting discussion that's just starting to be had it is interesting and it's a it's a tricky topic as well because it's not the case that we can just refuse to do that emotional labor because then we're not seen as you know a team player (laughs) in in our workplace so it's it's a hard conversation that we have to have where we where we raise raise it kind of awkwardly and say hey this is unpaid labor like That's just what it is. And in terms of unpaid labor, women do the vast majority of it, whether it be emotional labor at the workplace or childcare at home. It happens everywhere.
1: And also clearly identifying what that emotional labor is and how it constitutes a form of labor. because often just kind of accepted as like, oh, you know, women just kind of do that. It's like, hey, this is natural for us. I'd much rather tell you to fuck yeah. off. Like <laughs> It takes
0: a lot of work to not say the words fuck
1: off. <laughs> so the word sorry is another thing as well. Oh, yeah. I think, and so I apologise very little for anything I say unless I've, like, actively been a jerk to someone, in which case I'm like, oh, no, I mm. was a bad friend. Feelings. Sorry. Um, <laughs> But generally, and, like, part of this is to do with having done, like, four years of debating Where if you say sorry in your speech, you've, like, basically undermined half your case, right? Like, but occasionally I'll have conversations with women and just, like, be amazed at how much they apologize for just saying things that are true Mm. or things they think. And that's very off-putting.
0: Yeah, I've definitely noticed this um, about myself, (laughs) which is a bit embarrassing. Just the number of times I say sorry. And the number of times I say the word just. Like, I'm just going to, I was just wondering if maybe. It's the, the worst thing about learning, learning about how women are socialized is seeing how I've been socialized and seeing that reflected in what I do every single day. I think that's the hardest thing, is to know that this is screwed up and there's no reason why I should be apologizing for anything. And yet to, to do it anyway, because it's almost like muscle memory now. Like, we're, we're in our early 20s, and we, we've gone through all of childhood and mostly all of puberty being socialized to apologize for our own opinions and even apologize for our own facts. The thing
1: I shared on Facebook, which is our nine non-threatening leadership strategies for women – And sort of starts off sounding almost legitimate, where it's like, from, you know, setting a deadline in a very serious way, where you're like, this has to be done by Monday, to, what do you think about getting this done by Monday? And then eventually you get down a little bit further, and you get to things like collaborating and different ways to type, and the threatening way to type is like, type normally. But when you're not being threatening, you could just type using only one finger because your nails are terrible. precious and you want to protect them. Um, and it's just like
0: you don't want to sort look of, too competent.
1: <laughs> it takes you down this beautiful route of like things that people might suggest that you say to like be less threatening because women are threatening um, despite being often smaller. And weaker than men that we meet in the workplace. But sure, women are threatening. Um, and it takes you down this beautiful path of that to just being like, no, all of this is ridiculous. Uh, yeah. I've appreci- I particularly appreciated the one um, which takes you from the threatening way when someone just repeats what you said to that, which is, yes, that's exactly what I just said, to the non-threatening way, which is thank you for articulating that
0: so clearly. The depressing thing is that I have heard women say that in meetings. <laughs> that exactly. Like, it's it's one of those things that if you don't laugh, then you're going to cry because it is absolutely things that either I have done or I have seen other women do in the workplace. Um, but it, it is so <laughs>
1: difficult because you just want to be like, have you considered shutting up? Yeah. Right now. And if we, like, if we don't – soften our words and soften our voices and you know act femininely then we get called bossy or like mannish like i'm sure you remember all of the criticism helen clark got yeah um and it's just like so i've been i will often get comments from people talking about you know how i am very good in charge i'm a very good leader blah 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 blah. they're all true um I often respond with the fact that like, well yes, I've been called bossy since I was about five years old, so this was clearly always my destiny. Mm-hmm. And often like I get quite a strange response to that, but I've always like so even when I was a kid, I didn't really get why being bossy was a bad thing. Mm. And so like my mum would be like, you know, Sophia, you're being a bit bossy, and I'm like, Yes, it's cause I know better than everyone else. And she's like, Well well maybe 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 don't be. I'm like, No oh, <laughs> Sure. <laughs> I was a very precocious child. She did very well with me. <laughs> um, but uh, I just want to be in charge of everything.
0: It's <laughs> so hard when you're a woman. It, it is difficult. Uh, there was a meeting that I was in once at work where one of the guys on my team just straight up said, this work is bad. This is This is bad. And it was true. And everyone... Well, I mean, the people who did the work obviously disagreed, but, <laughs> but, but it was it, people respected that. You know, he said, "I think this work is bad," and people respected that. Whereas, I think if if I were to say straight up, "this this work is bad," that would be shocking. Like we're expected to to preface something with that. Like this is just my opinion, but uh, I think the way that you've done this here, like you maybe could have done it better. <laughs> better.
1: I try and couch it in terms of um, I just really want to see you live up to your full potential and this just isn't mm.
0: reaching it. That's a really good way to put it. But uh, it's a it's the disappointed dad am, way to put it. It's a, it's a fantastic way to put internally, it.
1: Internally I am constantly seething at people who disappoint me, but
0: externally I'm I'm very <laughs> nice to them. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely hard. Uh I've definitely been trying to be a lot more assertive in general um
1: i mean it's also figuring out what works for you as well right like if you're not comfortable being a like badass boss like yeah do what you like figure out how to effectively be assertive in ways that like challenge you but not in ways that make you actively uncomfortable
0: yeah yes and no i feel like the ways i know the way that i want to be assertive and i know that that's going to feel uncomfortable so I feel like that uncomfortableness is just something that I'm going to have to deal with. Because I realize that that discomfort has been socialized into me. Like, there's no good reason why I should be oh, yeah. uncomfortable being assertive. It, it's just, like, muscle memory, and I just need to unlearn it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's totally fair enough. Yeah. Something, um, something that I've also noticed is that during arguments or during, I don't know, fiery debates good discussions, uh, whenever you show or you leak a little bit of emotion and the other person calls you out on that emotion, suddenly it feels like the discussion is over. Suddenly all of what you have said has been invalidated because you were angry. I have so many feelings about this. Do tell. Do tell. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
1: it's like often when I'm talking about something, I will have – feelings about it like I only put my time and my effort into discussing things that I care quite strongly about and like that will often get ignored because of how I say it not because of what I'm saying and I'm always quite respectful and I'm always just like look you know you might not agree with this yet you're wrong you will when (laughs) I finish talking but let's just let's just get into it um but because I'm angry or I'm passionate or I'm like upset about something, that means that my sources suddenly aren't right, my statistics are now Mm. no longer wrong despite, like, no longer legitimate like, suddenly nothing I've said meant Mm. anything and it infuriates me because, like, that's, not only is it just, like, gendered, it also makes literally zero sense, right? Because presumably you want to be getting your information from people who care about something enough to, like, be Mm. right about it. And if you're ignoring the fact that, like, If you're ignoring people who care a lot about something, you're only going to get your information from people who might not, like, be invested enough in something to, like, make sure everything they're saying is right. And it also means you're never going to talk to people who are directly affected by a situation. Mm -hmm. Because, like, of course people of colour are going to be upset about racism. Yeah. But they're also probably going to have the most legitimate life experiences and the best access to, like, facts and anecdotes about the effects of racism. And to discard that as being, like, irrational or ridiculous or, like, just having feelings is so
0: counterintuitive to making the world a better place. Yeah, a really, really good article today from BuzzFeed (laughs) um, about the history of harassment on Twitter and how Twitter has failed time and time again to curb this harassment for everyday users. And a lot of that has been attributed to the fact that their executive team is something like around about the 75% mark both white and male. And because that they have these people there that are pretty much unaffected by the harassment and the abuse that goes on their platform, because they're removed emotionally from it, they haven't done a good enough job pushing through the, the changes that are needed to curb the rampant abuse and harassment on their platform. And this is definitely a case where, okay, person A is angry about this. Their anger about this thing doesn't make the problem any less valid. In fact, it's a supporting fact that all these people are angry about this thing. It means that this is a real problem. Not just because, oh, these people are emotional. They must not be rational. That's a... Dangerous hold fall down. The idea that being emotional means that you're not rational.
1: And, like, that's often also the idea that's put on younger people. So often the comment is made, like, millennials and their outrage culture. And, like, (laughs) it's just like, well, maybe we're legitimately angry over the fact that old people ruined the environment and also the economy. (laughs) I think that's a fine reason. And it's like, these are often comments coming from older people. And it it kind of reminds me a lot, actually, of... um, there were some, like, racist and sexist comedians who got banned from college campuses. And they were like, oh, millennials yeah. don't have a sense of humor. <laughs> and the overwhelming response that I saw was like, no, we have a sense of humor. We just don't like rape jokes. Um, I think it's also quite telling that, like, so the head of Twitter trust and safety is a woman called Del Harvey, except Del Harvey isn't her real name. Like, okay. she, so the head of Twitter trust and safety does not publicly use her real name. Smart. Oh, yeah, like, really, really smart. But also, like, says a lot about the concerns of her job, the kind of pressures that are on women in Silicon Valley, Mm -hmm. and, like, the kind of abuse that she would potentially be open to if anyone, like, found out where she lived.
0: Hey, everyone. So that was part one of our two-parter on feelings. At first this was just going to be a one-part series, but my recording failed in the middle of the episode. And we recorded the next day, and I was just going to stitch them together, but part two was so good, so we've made it its very own episode. While I'm here, though, I want to take the time to say thank you, our listeners, for, you know, listening and supporting us this entire time. We're up to episode seven. If you're enjoying this, please do tell a friend. And do write to us. We read every one of your responses. We love to hear from you. And we love to hear any comments, suggestions, or just general ideas that you have. Alright, see you in part two.